Hey guys, my name is Nicole Escobar and I am your host. I am also the director of Trees of Hope, which is a nonprofit in South Florida that exists to train, educate, and equip parents on how to protect the children in their life from being sexually abused. We also offer survivor-led healing support groups for victims of sexual abuse. We want to welcome you because this is our podcast. We hope it encourages you. We hope it inspires you. And we hope you leave here knowing that hope is real, your story matters, and that you are more than just a hashtag. So let's get to our next episode. Hey guys, my name is Nicole Escobar and I am your host. This is episode 13 of the Not Just a Hashtag. I'm here unfortunately alone, all my girls were out this time, but I actually wanted to take this opportunity of being alone to do with you guys, our listeners, a prevention workshop. Um, I've gotten emails in the past asking for us to talk more about our prevention workshops and our material. And so I figured let's dedicate the next two episodes to that specifically. Um, So I'm going to break this down into two separate parts. The first episode, which is this one, will be all about sexual abuse prevention. And then the next one will be about the effects of pornography or pornography and how it plays a role in sexual abuse. Um, So those are these are going to be two really, really informative and necessary episodes. And if you're a parent, if you are not a parent, it's still applicable. Does not matter. I've learned a lot um, from these episodes myself, and I'm not a parent yet. And um, I've been able to use this information to talk to my friends who have kids about this. Um, Actually, I just had this conversation the other day with somebody who does a lot of work for us. And um, they said that they got a phone call or they heard about somebody being uh, a a friend of theirs had a child that was potentially being sexually abused. And he was like, you know what, after listening to your workshop, I was able to actually like knowledgeably talk to them about this topic and telling them where to start and what to do. So definitely important information. So you obviously are not here with me. You cannot see me. And a lot of this is interactive. Um, So I'm going to try to make this as um, I'm going to try to ask the same questions and make this as interactive as I possibly can, um, but I won't be able to see your answers. So when we do these workshops, we're typically in a pretty large room with people and we like to go around the room and ask questions, but I'm not going to do that here. What I am going to do is just ask you a question, which is um, I want you to think about the time when your parents had the birds and the bees talk with you. I'm sure every one of your parents has gone over that conversation with you or has gone over something along the lines. Um, And I want to ask you how many of them talked about stranger danger? You know, did your parents talk to you about body safety and then they talked to you about, you know, being sexually abused or being raped most likely is the words they used or talking like that and saying that it's going to happen with a stranger. I hear that often, 
Um, and when we do these workshops, the almost the entire room raises their hand. Um, but now I wanna ask you the question is, how many of your parents went further into that and said 93% of all sexual abuse cases happen by someone a child knows, loves, and trusts? Okay, so when I ask that question in a large room, nobody raises their hand. Why is that? It is that because parents, people in general, are simply unaware of how big the problem of sexual abuse is. They think it happens in a dark corner. They think it happens with somebody that a child doesn't know. They think it happens in an alleyway. They think, you know, and yes, it is happening like that. 7% of sexual abuse happens like that. Um, so it is something you do want to cover and talk about. Um, in my family, we had a code word. Uh, whenever somebody that I did not know wanted to talk to me, I would ask them, what is the code word? And if they didn't tell me it was this word, I would run away. Um, but that's not enough. Parents need to understand the full scope of the problem. They need to understand who is perpetrating sexual abuse, who offenders are, how it happens, and how it could happen to their child, and how to keep their children safe. According to the CDC, one in three girls and one in six boys will be sexually abused before their 18th birthday. But that statistic is only based on 12% reportings. There's a whole 88% that goes unreported. Why? Because sexual abuse is the most underreported crime of our day. Why is that? Because if you've been sexually abused, you know there's so much shame attached to it. There's fear that no one's going to believe you. And your perpetrator or the person who sexually abused you may have made you believe that if you did tell or did report that they were going to harm you or your family. So you kept quiet. Last year, Trees of Hope saw over 335 people go through one of our healing programs. Of that number, I want you to think how many people actually reported. If you said any more than 1%, you are wrong. <laughs> it was less than 1% that reported their abuse. You see, I believe this problem affects 100% of us because if it's not you that's been sexually abused, then it's someone you know. It's someone that sits next to you at church that you go to work with. It's someone in your family. It's someone that you know your child plays with at school. It's someone in your circle. And if, if it's, like I said, if it's not you, who is it? And who in your life could have experienced sexual abuse? Sexual abuse is not just this new movement, this Me Too movement. It's a We Too problem. So as many of you know, I am very passionate about this topic so much that I talk about it every month and, and we talk about it all the time. I run this ministry of Trees of Hope. But for those of you who are new and you don't know my story, let me just go over it with you. So when I was six years old, I was sexually abused by a teenager in my neighborhood. Um, I knew this guy. I, I felt safe with him. Um, I, I wanted to be liked by him. He was cool. He was the cooler, older guy in our neighborhood that we hung out with. And I noticed that he took a liking to me and I liked the attention. I liked that. 
But what I didn't like was how he touched me. And one day he asked me to go behind a house, an abandoned house, and in a bunch of bushes that were, you know, had space where I, we both put our bikes down and he told me to undress. And I did. And from there, I don't have, you know, full details or want to share those details of what took place, but I was sexually abused and it changed my life. It changed the way I looked at myself. But I think the thing that affected me the most was his mom walked in on us, walked in on the situation and she screamed at me. I like, she couldn't believe that I was standing there naked being so inappropriate. And so obviously what did that do? That instilled shame in me. It made me think that I was to blame. Like, look, Nicole, look what you just did. You just caused this boy to make you undress. So I believed that lie. And I believed it for many, many years up until I was about 30 years old. I had a great relationship with my parents. Nothing came in the way of our conversations, except we did not talk about our bodies. We did not talk about sex. We did not talk about um, kissing or anything sexual like that. We didn't talk about, you know, the anatomically correct names of our body parts. We just talked about life. So of course I was not going to run home and say, mom, dad, I just was sexually abused by the boy in my neighborhood. I didn't even, I didn't even know what to call what just happened. I'm now, I'm now dealing with the boy in my neighborhood who I looked up to and trusted, loved, and sort of, you know, wanted to fit in with and be cool with just violated me. I didn't want that to happen, but now what do I do? Because I don't want to be, I don't want to say something because I just got yelled at that I was doing something wrong. So now what do I do? So what did I do? I shut up. I learned how to take trauma and pain and to silence it as if it never even happened. I learned a very um, helpful, but yet toxic trait that day. And I used it in all situations in my life when something felt uncomfortable. It made me feel like I was being forced to do something I didn't want to do. I just shut my mouth and I kind of went along with it. And I learned how to just sort of smile through and just put on a proud face. So on the outside, everyone would have said I had it going on. I had it all together. I was on the tennis team in high school. I graduated with honors in college. I had, I had a degree, I mean, a scholarship. I, I went to a great college, a Christian college to get my BA. Um, I, I graduated with honors. I was working in a Christian newspaper with a great job, a great trajectory of a career. I, I really did on the outside. I made sure the world thought that I had it all together. Yet on the inside, I was a broken mess. I didn't want to talk about that one area of my life. I didn't, I, I act as, acted as if for many years, as if it never happened. Um, I told a couple of my girlfriends growing up and I, I shared in my elder years, a couple of my safe friends I shared with them. And I remember one close girlfriend I shared with that I had been sexually abused. And when the time came for me to actually deal with it, um, I remember telling her, maybe I made it all up. And it was that good, faithful friend who told me, you didn't make it up, Nicole. You you know what you went through. You told me it was sexually abused. You know, you didn't want that to happen. I mean, I had to have her remind me of all of these things. So the reason why I am so adamant and so passionate about 
sexual abuse prevention is because now I see all the ways that it could have been prevented in my family. And now it's a passion in me that I want to teach other families so they don't have to go through what I had to go through. Then on the flip side, I'm so passionate about what we offer at Trees of Hope in the way of healing is because I walk through it and it changed my life forever. It, it helped me to define what had happened to me as it was. And it helped me to then stop minimizing and denying what had happened to me and to actually look at it honestly and say, how did this affect me? How did this truly affect my life? And, and it, it dispelled all the lies in my life that I had believed. It, it made me now learn ways that I can actually take a lie and, and convert or confront it with a truth. So every time I told myself, well, you had been sexually abused. Yes. But you know, what if you didn't walk in there? What if you didn't go in there? What if you didn't take your clothes off that day? That's a lie that my sexual abuse wants me to believe. And so the truth is, is that no matter what happened, I was sexually abused. No matter who believes me, no matter what took place, no matter how I walked in there, whatever, I was sexually abused and I did not want it to happen. I remember my parents, when I came out and told them about what happened to me, they did not respond the way that I had hoped or in the right appropriate way. But I was confident enough in who I was and I was confident enough in my story and where I stood in it that when they did do that, I was able to say, it does not matter what you are saying. I know what happened to me. And the lie did want me to believe that, listen, your parents don't even believe you. So maybe you've been making this up. Maybe you're making up this whole thing. I said to myself, no, I know what happened to me and I know what I felt and I know what it did to me. It took away my innocence. It affected my entire life. It changed the way I saw myself, the way that I saw other people, the way, the way I saw men and the way they spoke to me. It, I, it affected everything, um, but it doesn't need to anymore. So that's how I confront these lies. And that's what we teach at our, our healing, in our healing support groups. And they're so important. So I, you know, I'm, I'm passionate about what I get to do here at Trees of Hope. I'm passionate about what we offer at Trees of Hope. I'm also extremely passionate about seeing children protected. And hopefully one day when I get to have a family that I get to, um, you know, do all the things that I preach here on my family, which I know I will, I will be able to do that. Um, so now let's get into, if this is your first time hearing about Trees of Hope, um, I know, and I'm sorry if this is redundant and you've heard about it, but let me just go over really quickly some of the services that we offer because it's so important. So at Trees of Hope, we offer prevention resources. Now, these are going to be educational resources that are designed to educate parents and other caregivers on how to identify and prevent childhood sexual abuse. We've created these with every stage of life in mind. We have children's book, we have a children's book series that is for ages four through seven that's available for pre-order online. We have teen magazines that are made for teens that are specifically in a language for teenagers to learn more about sexual abuse prevention. What is consent? What is um, teen dating violence? What is date rape? What are all these things that they can learn 
At the same time, there's a parent guide that goes along with it where parents can walk alongside the content that their children are learning, but help them in asking these important questions or having these important conversations with their children about the information that they're learning. On the survivor side of what we do, we have survivor programs. Some are self-paced studies, um, which are our uh, teen programs are all self-paced, which means you can go online and watch videos that accompany that specific program. Uh, for girls, we have Thorn. For boys, we have Nobleman. And then for men, we have Renew. And that is also a self-paced study that is on pre-order right now. It's not out yet. That will be out in 2021. But again, that's an individual study. The only study that we are doing right now that is a group study is our shelter program. And that is for women. That is a group setting that um, I, that's the one that I went through, the one that we've talked so much about here. It's just invaluable. The type of content, the information that you learn, the things that you overcome in the group is just so amazing. But due to the pandemic of COVID, um, we have had to pivot. And now we offer our groups virtually, which means that uh, we're not doing them in person as of right now, unless the church is open. So in Central Florida, our churches are back open. So we're doing those in person. But if that is not where you live, um, you can go on our website and check any of the virtual groups that are starting, which means you don't have to live in South Florida. You could live anywhere and go through one of our virtual groups. Um, and then we have our online groups, which it's not technically a group, it's just a pre-recorded online uh, study that we did that was to sort of fill in the gap for those people who didn't live here or were not ready to walk through a healing study to go actually in a group or a virtual group and actually be around other participants. Um, and they just wanna do it in the privacy of their home. They wanna understand and learn the content on their own and they're just not ready for that group setting, which we totally understand. We wanted to meet the need of anyone, anywhere, at any walk of life, through any stage of life that you're in, that you are ready to come to terms with what's happened to you and start walk, walking through healing. We offer a podcast, as you know, we have thousands of listeners and we're so thankful for you guys. Um, and then we have counseling services. So for any person here that is in need of counseling, um, Kristen Torres, who's a regular on our show, is available for counseling. She can do it virtually or in person. Or actually, I'm not sure if she's doing in person right now, but she's definitely doing virtual um, or over the phone or anything like that. All right. So before we get into what is sexual abuse, I want to give you a couple of key terms to be thinking about. And these are very important as we talk about sexual abuse. So the first one is consent. Consent is agreeing without pressure, manipulation, or under the influence. That's a very, very, very important key term when it comes to sexual abuse. When you're thinking about your own situation, did you consent to any of the things that happened to you? Okay, grooming, identifying a target, creating a bond, and playing a role. So a lot of times we hear uh, about, you know, a teacher or a, a celebrity who ended up, we'll use Michael Jackson, for example, um, if anybody watched that documentary, um, the term grooming was used a lot in it because 
the children, the people who were sexually abused or a, a claiming sexual abuse, which, you know, I'm not going to share my opinions on that, but obviously you should know <laughs> where I stand. Um, basically, grooming took place, which means that he, the person who performed the grooming, identified and targeted somebody or people. It, they couldn't even groom parents. They created a bond with that person and then they created a, a role in their life. And now we're going to break that down much more as we get into this. Rape is non-consensual insertion of a body part or object into mouth, vagina, or anus. That is important because a lot of people think that they have been, they have not been sexually abused because they, something was inserted in their mouth without their consent. And what they need to understand is that's rape, that's sexual assault, that's sexual abuse. The next term is sexual assault, and that's any kind of non-consensual sexual contact, okay? Voyeurism is sexual pleasure from watching others undress or engage in sexual activities. So a lot of times I hear people who come through Trees of Hope who say their form of being sexually abused was somebody was watching them undress and they caught them several times that is absolutely sexual abuse and a pure, pure, clear violation. The last one is fondling, is to touch sexually. Okay, so now I want to get into what is sexual abuse. Uh, but before I do, I just want a disclaimer here really quick. Two disclaimers. Number one is, as you can tell, I'm recording at my home, or you can't tell that I'm at my home, but I, I we're not doing our normal prof professional recording um, that is because a lot of what we do now is home-based. So I have dogs. We've talked about that in many episodes. If you hear them bark, please, we're going to give it a second. Um, the mailman or the UPS guy seems to come every day around this time. And so they may just bark. So my apologies in advance. And then the second thing I wanted to, um, just disclaim, use as a disclaimer is that some of the stuff is triggering. And some of it, as you're hearing it, you may resonate a lot with and may go, wow, that's my story or that makes me feel you know, sad or whatever. Please don't hesitate to reach out to me or to somebody and in, in, in talk through some of this. If it's, if it's hurt you or if it makes you feel some type of way or whatever, I'm always here to have a dialogue with you. Feel free to email me. It's Nicole, N-I-C-O-L-E. Escobar, E-S-C-O-B-A-R at treesofhope.org. Um, so, and, or seek a counselor, okay? We've given you many resources before. You've got Kristen Torres, where you can, you can book an appointment on our website. You've got the Nancy J. Cotterman Center here in Broward County, but they also will talk with you or set up appointments with you for anywhere in, in America, I, I believe. And then you've got the victim services in Palm Beach as well. And all those resources are on our website. All right, so what is sexual abuse? So sexual abuse takes place anytime someone engages in sexual activity with another person that is non-consensual. This type of abuse comes in many forms, including, but not limited to rape, sexual assault, exposure, fondling, voyeurism, and commercial sexual exploitation. It includes touching and non-touching behaviors. Sometimes sexual abuse doesn't occur between a child and an adult, but rather between children. That is so important. Sometimes I hear from parents, oh, well, they were just experimenting. 
So then my next question after somebody says something like that to me is, did your child want it to happen? And if the parent says no, then they weren't experimenting and sexual abuse happened. Okay, so now what I want to do is um, give you examples of contact forms and non-contact forms of sexual abuse. So the first one is for contact, encouraging or forcing a child to take place in sexual activity, coercing a child to take his or her clothes off, forcing a child to touch someone else's genitals or masturbate, penetration by putting a body part or object inside a child's vagina, anus, or mouth, sexually touching a child anywhere on the body, whether or not the child is wearing clothes. All right, so that is, just remember, a lot of that, all of it has to do with touch. But some of the things I wanna point out is sometimes somebody will sexually abuse by touching a child in not their private parts, but maybe on their arm or maybe on their um, neck. And their intent is to get arousal or to get pleasure from that sexual gratification um, or to feel a sense of power and control over that child. And so that would, that would definitely be a form of sexual abuse. The non-contact forms of sexual abuse are encouraging or forcing a child to watch or listen to people engaging in sexual activity, voyeurism, which is inappropriately watching a child dress or bathe, showing a child pictures, video, or internet site of pornography, online abuse involving or making, viewing, or distributing child abuse images, sexually exploiting a child for money, status, or power, sexually grooming and meeting a child with the intent of abusing them, or asking a child to pose for pictures without their clothes on. So a quick story is on the grooming and meeting a child with the intent of abusing them. There was a guy who was a famous pastor in Texas of a mega church. He was the, he was the family, family pastor, or no wait, the marriage pastor. He was the marriage pastor and he was a perpetrator. So he was somebody who would go online and search for young kids and young girls and preferably in the 14 to lower age range. And he would have the intent to meet up with them and want to have sex with them. Um, he did this so many times that he, the FBI caught him or maybe not so many times that he'd do it, but he searched it so many times that ended up getting flagged and FBI was watching him. So much so that the FBI created a profile and an account and he ended up talking with this person who he thought was a 13 year old young lady who lived 224 miles away from him. And he set up with her that they would meet in a park and that they would hang out. So he drives 224 miles to meet up with this person. And by the time he got to the park and ended up finding out that it was an FBI agent, he got arrested. When they found his stuff, they found that he had 10 condoms and a camera. So he had every intent that, that if that would have been a 13 year old on the other end, that person would have absolutely been a victim of sexual abuse. He is charged according to sexual abuse charges because he had the intent of meeting with a child and abusing them, sexually abusing them. And the proof was the condoms and the camera. He was gonna record it as well. Okay, so now we wanna go over some sexual abuse myths. These are important because 
a lot of times people will hear or believe a myth and think it's factual as truth. And they won't educate themselves enough on the actual truth of the topic. And therefore they remain uneducated on it and don't sometimes if somebody tells them that they've been sexually abused, they don't respond appropriately or they may just not be unaware of it happening and what it, what it really is, what the true problem is. And then they don't, they don't, they don't be the voice that maybe speaks up for somebody or they don't, they don't um, report it or whatever it is. So knowing myths and knowing the facts are extremely important when it comes to sexual abuse. So when, and we've done an episode on this in season two, and I think it was episode two. So it goes way more in depth on our website at treesofhope.org. You can also find a bunch of myths that we have on there, myths and facts. We think it's so, so important that people understand this. So I'm only going over a few just for the sake of time. The first one is sexual abuse only happens with strangers. Well, sexual abuse, 93 percent of sexual abuse the victim knows their abuser now this is broken down to 59 being acquaintances 34 percent being a family member and seven only seven being strangers this is why we recommend that you check your circle let that be a phrase that stays very close to you at all times when your child gets into a new school a new youth camp a, a new youth group a new Sunday school, whatever it is, a new program, period. Check your child's circle. Who are they hanging out with? Who are the adults? Who are the children's um, parents? What is the circle that is surrounding your child and who are they hanging out with on a consistent basis? And who are the random people coming into their life that's in, that is connected to this circle? So the next one is only girls are sexually abused. Well, we've already gone over that, which is one in six boys will be sexually abused by the age of 18. So this problem is huge for boys. And again, that number is only based on that 12% reporting, which is very even lower. If we just, if we took girls out, it's even lower for boys. There's a lot associated to that, to the fact that what goes on in a boy's mind, if they've been sexually abused by a boy, by another boy, by another man, or by a woman, a lot attacks their manhood and why they don't want to speak up. Because a lot of times they will say if they have spoken up later is if I spoke up, then I looked like a wimp or I look like I couldn't handle this. And that, and that's why it's important as parents that we need to empower our young men that your sexuality and what happens to you if anything if anything like sexual abuse happens to you it is not attached to your manhood your manhood is who you are as a character is in your character it's in who you it's it's in your identity and you know as a christian we believe it's in who god created you to be and it has nothing to do with what's happened to you at all Okay, the third one is sexual abuse only happens in low-income areas. Well, that's a major myth, that sexual abuse crosses all classes of society. There is no race, social, or economic class that is immune to sexual abuse. The next one is children speak up about their abuse. 
close to two thirds of children victims may not tell their parents or anyone else because of the fear of being blamed, punished, or not believed. So that's about 66% of children do not speak up about their abuse. The last one is sexual abuse in families is a one-time incident. Studies indicate that most child sexual abuse continues for at least two years before it is reported. And in most cases, if it is happening in a family, it does not stop until it is reported. That means that some outside external force has to come in to make that child safe. So I want you to think about that when we're talking about, when we're thinking about COVID, when we're thinking about children being stuck in their homes during this time right now, these lockdowns and what could be happening to children. It, it scares the living daylights out of me about how many children whose school was their only safe place could be being sexually abused. And so if you're a praying, a praying person, Now's the time to be praying for that child. Now's the time to be praying for those types, those children who are in those types of situations. And that, you know, that something can happen with this whole situation and that we can go back to our normal lives when it comes to having children going back to school and things like that. And I know nothing's ever going to be probably normal again, but um, children going to school is a very necessary thing. Okay, so now what we're going to do is talk about the abuser. So one of the things that we always just want to preface is trusting your gut and instincts is crucial when it comes to abuse. I could probably name a hundred people that have come through one of our prevention workshops and have come over to us and shared their story of sexual abuse in their family and said, in that time that they shared their story or this, the situation that took place, there was always this that stood out. There was always something off. I always felt it in my gut. And obviously there's nothing you can do about it after the, the situation happened other than now put preventive measures in place. But it's important that we do trust our gut. And if you feel something weird about somebody, go off that. And, and, and trust your gut. Don't feel weird about, don't make yourself, don't shame yourself into feeling like, oh, I shouldn't feel this way. Don't excuse it away. Jump on that feeling. If something doesn't seem right, then speak up. If you feel uncomfortable, but don't see specific signs, then ask more questions and keep an eye out and follow. And, and, and if some of these behaviors that we talk are, that we're about to um, give examples of, um, these are things that people, trust me, they would never have been like, oh, I knew that was happening or I saw that or whatever. But it's when it's it, it's when it happens and you go, huh, that was weird that they said that or did that. And then you excuse it away. They're not, when an abuser or perpetrator is not going to be, they're very calculated and they're very, they're very um, specific and they know exactly what they're doing. So it's not just like, oh, it, they're not just like loosey goosey, just, you know, just trying to see what sticks out there. They're actually very calculated. They've seen what works and what doesn't work in breaking people's boundaries and standards. So first one is makes others uncomfortable by ignoring emotional, physical, or social boundaries and limits. So those could be things like 
if you've, if you've got boundaries up, like, Hey, you know, please don't touch me. I don't want to, I don't want to be touched even on, on my shirt or my, my top or anything. They just ignore it and they do it. An example of this, I was at church one time. I don't like being touched. Most people who know, know me know this. Um, I had my shoe off and a guy came over and tickled the bottom of my foot. At the time, I laughed it off because this guy was a high ranking person at my church. And I was like, I don't want to make a big deal about it. Meanwhile, my mentor was sitting right next to me and flew off the handle about it. And at the time, I was so embarrassed. I was like, shush, why are you making such a big deal about this? And now looking back on it, everything that she did was absolutely right. She made a big deal because it was a big deal. I have boundaries in my life. I don't want to be touched, and especially by a stranger. And he ignored those boundaries. And I'm not saying that he's a rapist or a sexual predator, but he absolutely had no respect for my personal space. And that's very important to teach children at an early age. Teases or belittles a child to keep them, keep the child from setting his or her own limits. So, you know, maybe this is a child who does not want to be hugged or touched by their coach. Um, the coach hugs them, the coach um, I've heard of coaches pulling bikini bottoms or bathing suit bottoms, swim coaches out of a girl's butt. Um, and let's say they say, hey, please don't do that. And then they make fun of the child for having that limit or saying no to that. And so what they're hoping is that other kids will make fun of them and then they'll end up changing their mind and allow it. Make sexual references or tell sexual jokes when children are present. This is always inappropriate behavior. Um, adults should be adults and respect the fact of the age that is in front of them and the innocence that they have and protect their little minds. The next one is exposes children to adult sexual interactions with a parent without apparent concern. So that is, you know, if there is, um, I mean, I, I mean, just being very blunt is, is, doing anything sexual, like having actual sex or any type of sexual um, interaction. No, I'm not talking about just kissing, but I'm talking about oral sex, regular sex, um, any type of that type of sex in front of a child without worrying about how it could affect them. Even if they think that the child is sleeping and they're doing it anyways, um, that's having no concern for the child. Um, spends excessive time texting, emailing, and calling children or youth. There should be no reason that anyone over the age of 18 should be speaking to your child without you on the text. So if right now you, your child has a tutor, a coach, um, a teacher that texts them, you can change that moving forward. So you can text that person and say, Hey, moving forward, I want to be on all, I want there to be a group text between me and you and my son or my daughter moving forward. Um, I know in this day and age, it's very casual and it's very common to see teachers talking to students, but you want that one, you want that teacher who, who goes, wow, thank you. Yeah, let's do that. Let's, Let's not, I shouldn't be texting him anyways or her anyways. Let's absolutely do that. And if they give you a problem or make you feel uncomfortable in any way for whatever, then you, you've got something bigger, bigger on your hand that you need to take care of. Okay, then the next one is babysits children often for free or takes children out on special outings alone. 
any adult that wants to hang out with children alone, that's not their own child and wants to do things for free is a huge red flag and is something that you should look out for. When you look at all the movies, all the documentaries, all of the shows, all of the whatever it is out there that the number one thing that that person did in the grooming process was they came in to help the parent, the single parent, the parent that needed, that was just overworked, overwhelmed and said, Hey, I'll take your child out. I'll take them to um, a park. I'll take them, you know, let me take them for ice cream. This is a major red flag and should never happen. There should be no reason why your children should hang out with anyone other than you or your family, but also why, what, what is it about that adult that wants to hang out with your child alone? Right. So ask that question. Now, if this, now I I do want to say that not everybody, obviously who wants to, who wants to be around your child is an abuser. When I was growing up, I had a man, I had a family who just, I spent, I spent a lot of my time there at their house. I played video games. I walked there. They were like my second family. The time, the times in which we're living are the same because sexual abuse was happening then as much as it's happening now. The difference is, is that when you have a marriage of that and a bunch of other things that we're going to talk about here, then you've got a problem. Then you've got something you want to look out for. But when you've got just like one single thing and that being the most innocent of them, which is a, just a family who just wants to be there to help and to be a support to another family. Um, there's nothing, I don't, I don't see anything wrong with that, but it's when you see a bunch of other red flags that come in combination with that type of thing. Cause that's actually the one thing that we get questioned about a lot. Will, will a mom or, or a dad actually will, will raise their hand and say, Oh my gosh, what do I do? I have a friend who, or my cousin and his wife take out my kids. Are they sexually abusing my kid? And we always just say, listen, if they're, if you feel, if you feel a check in your gut, it's something to look into. In addition to that, if you feel a check in your gut, you also, you feel like it's in something's inappropriate here. In addition, there's a bunch of other things that you're seeing. Yeah. There's something you want to look into, but if you see none of the other things and your child just absolutely enjoys their time with them, never shows any fear of going around them. Um, you know, you've, you've maybe even asked some questions in front of them, in front of your child about what, what are some of the things that they did on their time away? Did anything make them feel uncomfortable? And they, and, and everyone just seemed to be totally normal and totally cool. Then I think you've got nothing to worry about. Um, but these are just things that we, we bring to your attention and we want to educate you on to make sure to look out for. Okay, the next one we're going to talk about is inappropriate sexual abuse behaviors amongst children. Yes, children can sexually abuse. We've already talked about that. So it is normal for a child to talk about and stimulate their private parts based on their age. It is inappropriate that they know about sexual acts and how to stimulate other people's private parts. And as a parent, we encourage you to pay attention. And if you notice something out of the ordinary, don't just talk it chalk it up for being common or experimenting. 
that is the number one biggest problem is that parents go, they were just experimenting. I just talked about this. Not everything is experimental. Trust me. <laughs> so we're going to give, I'm going to give you um, age ranges. I'm going to give you appropriate and inappropriate. Now, I'm sure there's a bunch of other things out there on the internet that you can find, but we wanted to just give you some pretty bullet points to the point um, things to look out for, okay? And, and you're gonna probably see some consistency on some of them. So zero to five years of age, what is appropriate is showing or looking at body parts, is gen genital stimulation. You know, it's, it's very normal for a child to be curious about their bodies, to know that they have um, some, if they're a boy, to know they have a penis, to know if they're a girl, to know they have a vagina, um, and to, to be curious about those, those things. And we're going to get into in a minute, um, what a child should know by age five. So, um, I think that's going to help you too, along with, uh, with having some of these conversations with your child. What is inappropriate is displaying adult-like contact with other children, adult-like sexual contact with other children. That is touching them, touching their private parts, having them touch another child, touch their private parts, them touching each other's private parts. So as soon as I read this, I mean, the child, the person who sexually abused me was not my age. They were older than me, but this right here, it's, it clearly says it's inappropriate. So it's, it's like, okay, I got it down. What happened was sexual abuse. So I say that to you, if you're ever going back and forth in your mind, ah, oh, was I, was I not? And you come into any of these, just reaffirm yourself that it absolutely was sexual abuse and don't waver on that. It, there's nothing more harmful to a person is going back and forth on their story. That's exactly where shame wants you to be is in that, you know, wavering place of like, oh gosh, because then you're stuck there. Sorry, I, I'll, go, I'll keep going on a rant on these things because I'm just, I've seen it happen so many times and it just breaks my heart when I'm sitting across from somebody and they, they'll tell me, I'm not ready to call it sexual abuse yet, or I'm not ready, or someone told me I wasn't sexually abused and now I believe it. And it's like, who cares what that person said? What did you feel? And what do you know to be true? You've got to trust yourself. You have to. Okay. The next one is six to 12 years of age. What is inappropriate before puberty or sorry, what is appropriate before puberty is questioning relationships, sexual behavior and sexual behavior and private genital stimulation. What is inappropriate before puberty is adult-like sexual interactions, public genital stimulation, and discussing specific adult sexual acts, okay? Very inappropriate. All right, now let's talk about what's appropriate after puberty. Increased curiosity about sex, questioning relationships, and sexual behavior, using sexual words and phrases, and talking about sex with peers. So there's nothing you can do to avoid this. This is obviously a growing young person that's now learning more about their body, learning more about what is sexual, what is not sexual. Um, they're gonna start learning more about how their body um, gets turned on a little bit and these things. So it's important that you stay involved in these conversations and this very, very, very crucial um, age 
cringe and don't pull back or put on your, you know, oh, we just don't talk about that in this house type mentality because that will silence your child and they'll never feel safe to talk to you about anything to do with their body. Inappropriate after puberty is continuous adult-like sexual behavior, oral or genital contact or intercourse that is very inappropriate after puberty. Okay, the next age is 13 through 16 years of age. What is appropriate is questioning sexual customs and social relationships, masturbating while alone, experimenting with same age peers that are wanting, the, that are consenting to it, fondling, et cetera. Intercourse occurs in one third of this age group. What is inappropriate is masturbating in public and showing sexual interest in younger children. Okay, very inappropriate. Okay, so now what I want to do really quick is go over what children should know by the age of by the age of five. Okay, so every child should understand the difference between maleness and femaleness. So penis, male, vagina, female. Um, every child should understand that there is a difference in the way that they develop, the way that they grow up, the way that they see the world, the way that they see themselves, the way that they communicate. Um, I mean, obviously it's really hard to get into all of that, but they definitely need to know that there's a difference, especially if there's a, you know, like for me in my home, I had two older brothers. No one ever took the time to say, you know, your brother is going to, is a boy <laughs> and he's going to look different than you. And there's no reason that you need to look like him just because you look up to him. So when I was growing up, obviously I had been sexually abused, but in the same way, also, I, um, I tried to dress like him. I tried to, you know, all the cool, the skater clothes he was wearing. I tried to do that. I, I, I wore shirts that were 10 sizes too big for me. And there could have been multiple reasons I was doing that. But one of the things was, is that I really, really loved my brother and I wanted to be just like him. So it, it would have been a great conversation for my parents to, you know, get a little deeper into that and explain that a little bit more. Um, kids should know under the age of five, their correct names of body parts. It breaks my heart when I talk to a parent and their child is like 10 or 12 or 11, and they don't know the anatomically correct names of their body parts. That's absolutely important. Just like they know their elbow, they should know that they have a penis or vagina. They have breasts. They have things that are covered and that are private. Um, the next one is no, they can talk to mom and dad about their bodies. Even if it makes you feel uncomfortable, even if your cultural norm told you that it's, you know, not okay to talk about these things that in this Italian family, in this Spanish um, family, in this, whatever it is, we don't talk about that. This, you're the one who breaks the norm and you're the one who allows it and you talk and there's no shame talking about your body parts. So if, I know this is disgusting and I'm sorry, but if a young lady gets her period, it's okay to talk about that with her mom. It's absolutely okay. And she should feel safe to be able to do that, not shamed in doing so. Um, another thing is understand what safe touch is and unsafe touch is. So we don't ever teach here that there's a difference between good and bad touch. We don't do that because if a child is touched and it's bad, it may feel good. Um, and then the last one is know who is safe. 
as safe adults in every area of their life. Um, so at school, who is a safe adult? If they're on a team, who is the safe adult? If they are at church, who is safe? So in every area of their life, they should have somebody that they can they can trust, they know that they can go to for anything to help them. Okay, so now what we wanna do is talk about how do offenders gain access? So there's obviously some, 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 some pretty clear and, and easy ones that we have here, but some are not so easy and so clear, like a coach. Um, offering coaching services, a foster parent or a guardian, spending time at places for children, um, befriending parents or a parent, uh, working, volunteering where children are, creating social media profiles, babysitting, tutoring, teachers, daycares. So these are all places that offenders can gain access to your child. So speaking of babysitting and daycares, we know that this is um, the day and age where parents work full-time and we have to depend on help for us to get through our day. That's babysitters, caregivers, or daycares to help in watching our children. And we want to provide you with some practical steps that you can take to screen people or places properly. So my first one is you want to network with friends. Um, I always say that do not hire anyone to watch your children unless you've vetted them properly. So, and, and, and hopefully that person will come through somebody that you know, a great reference, right? You can always, you can always, well, you can't always trust your friends, but you can, if you've got a good trusted friend that you love and you look up to, ask them to um, ask them if they've got some, if they've got some trusted people in their life that, that they have as babysitters or they, they trust, you know, with watching their own kids. All right. Then the next is um, if you cannot find a good applicant on your own, consider an organization like the international nanny association. So sometimes you're going to need a babysitter. Why not go through a company who's already done the due diligence and the vetting process themselves? But you on your own, you still have some steps that you need to take. You always want to interview prospective caregivers. You want to meet face to face and you want to ask questions like, hey, tell us about your work with children. Why did you decide to become a babysitter? What are your favorite activities to do with children? What do you do when a child has a temper or, or freaks out? Um, then you want to make sure you're double checking because uh, you can learn a lot about somebody on social media. So do your own social media background check. You want to look for posts that violate your values, show recklessness or poor judgment, indicate substance abuse, or demonstrate aggression. And then always ask for references. Um, I never, ever, ever, I used to, and this was a flaw that I had that I had to grow in. And I used to just hire somebody because I love them. I was like, you're the best. Now I ask for references and if they can't give me any, that's a, that's a problem. And then if they can give me some, I always check them because it's important to check these and to get a clear understanding of who this person is coming into your life. Remember, check your circle. Okay. Then when you, um, you always want to check their previous employer 
and ask questions when you talk to them, like, what did you like about this applicant? What would you change about them? What activities did the applicant do with children? Why did the applicant leave? Would you rehire the applicant? These are all great questions to ask. And honestly, if they can't answer them and say a positive thing, then you need to move along. It's not the person you want. The next thing you wanna do is define your expectations. You wanna tell your babysitter to expect them to be interacting with your child to limit their screen time. Specify what is permitted and what is not in regards to what's allowed in your home and what's not in, in regards to the screen time and what they watch and look at and listen to. Insist that if anyone comes to your home or is being introduced to your children that they need prior approval and will not be permitted without. Um, I, I'm going to talk about this in a minute, but I always recommend that you have cameras in your house. And, you know, nowadays you can have ring on your door. Well, I would make sure you there's ring for like every door. You can put it on every single door of your house, back door, side door, whatever. And so I recommend you have that. And when you do that, you know, that's a great way to find out who's coming and going. So the babysitter or the person may say, oh, I'm not having anybody over. Meanwhile, they invited their boyfriend over and they came through the back door and you had no idea, but your ring told you that it did. And now there's, there's so many different versions out there. So you can get any one of them. They're awesome. We have them here. And so my husband's always texting me saying, you have a box at the door. And I'm like, I didn't even know somebody dropped something off, but they're great. So I recommend that highly. Then you want to, um, you want to discuss dressing and toilet, uh, toilet, how that your child uses the toilet of young children. The rule of thumb is if a child knows how to wipe themselves or to take care of themselves in the bathroom, clean themselves, that the caregiver is not permitted to go in the bathroom at any time unless there's an emergency. And I would ask your child, you know, if you've, if that's your rule, then you say to your child, you know, when you went to the bathroom, did anybody come in? These are, these are the spot checking things that you want to use. And like I said, use cameras and let the caregiver know that you will be monitoring them. So you don't want them to be, you know, on high alert all the time, but you do want them to be aware, like, hey, I'm monitoring them. I will be checking in on them. And they are throughout the house, except for in specific spots. And you may tell, or I wouldn't say specific spots, but in, you know, in the bathroom. So don't be alarmed that I'm watching you in the bathroom, but they are here. Um, when you're selecting daycares for your child, the first thing you wanna do is read online reviews. You wanna to tour the daycare and watch how children interact. You wanna look for children not being monitored by adults. You wanna ask about the facility's policy and who may come into the daycare in contact with children. This is about parents, janitors, or cleaning staff. Have they been background checked? And if they have, um, is everyone on the up and up here? If your daycare is a person's home, what other family members are allowed in this home? Have they been background checked? You want to also drop in on occasion and unannounced, and you want to pay attention to how others react to you doing that. You also want to keep up with social media and don't just check in when you hire, check periodically. Because if I'm hiring somebody, they may have cleaned their Facebook or their Instagram totally and made sure that I don't see anything, but throughout like, you know, and I would ask to be their friend. And if they don't accept you or allow you to be friends, then that's, you know, something you want to look, look into why, why, 
And you as a hiring person, which you are hiring them for a job, you can absolutely ask these questions. Okay, so now we are going into what are predatory behavior traits? So we kind of talked about this a little bit, but now we want to uh, really analyze the predator and their behavior traits, especially when caught. So first is they diminish any feelings of shame or guilt. They make excuses for their behavior. You know, uh, uh, she was wearing this. That's why that happened. Or um, we were drinking and that's, you know, my emotions or my, I, I had no control. I lost control. Um, minimize the extent of harm. It's, it's like, it's not a big deal. Really, you know, I, I, I sexually abused her. It's not a big deal. I mean, why is that a big deal to you? That happens all the time. I mean, it almost feels like crazy to say that, but it's been said. Uh, often blame the victim. So, you know, she came on to me. We were dancing and she, 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 she wanted it. I know it. I saw it in her eyes. She wanted it. Okay. Then the last one is when confronted, they reframe. So that's what we call nowadays is gaslighting. So how I explain this is basically like you've said something, you've called somebody out or somebody says something about some, someone's behavior and they're like, wow, what's happened to you in your life that you would think that I would be so, such a horrible person to do this. Are you okay? Everything okay with you? That's gaslighting. So I'll give you an example of this. I had a boss. Uh, I may have shared this story before. I had a boss who um, used to gaslight me all the time. <laughs> and I didn't know it was happening until now, until, you know, my later years. Um, basically, they would say very inappropriate things to me. Very, so inappropriate. They should have been fired. <laughs> um, and... I wouldn't say anything because I was like, well, they're my boss and I just don't want to, you know, ruffle any feathers. Oh gosh. And everyone knew it was happening. It, it's, it's like, but I was like denying it so bad that it was like, no, does everyone see this or is it just me? Right. So I remember one day saying to this person, like, you know, like, whoa, buddy, like, whoa. <laughs> and they were like, you know, if you ever told anybody that I said that, they would laugh at you because they know what a stand-up person I am. And, you know, you, and it was like, no, I don't know. Me, what? Like, what? And it was, and I remember thinking, yeah, maybe he's right. Maybe, yeah, you know, maybe I am known as a flu. And so now it started going into my mind of like, yeah, maybe I am, I am, I am the, the problem. Jeez. I really need to get it together. Meanwhile, it was their problem the whole time. Okay, so now what I wanna do is give you guys some examples of concerning behavior. And I just want you to think about each one of these. And, and what I like to do is I think about the, the, like how this compares to my life and some situations I've gone through. And it really just, it kind of just makes it more, it makes it real. It makes it real life. Like we're not just talking about these things that could happen to these other people in some other land. Like, like this happens and this is happening and we need to be aware. Um, a young child approaches her parents after school and explain, exclaims, 
that man kissed me. The man overhears the comment, immediately runs over, responds, yeah, on the hands. The girl points to her cheek and says, no, 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 uh, he kissed me here on my cheek. The immediate defensiveness and lie are concerning, right? I mean, we would all say that, that that's concerning. But the problem is, is that if this parent, if these parents are not, um, you know, with it, they may believe the adult over the child, especially if this child has, you know, lied in the past or whatever. But this is this, this is something where, where there's smoke, there's fire. You absolutely want to look into something. If a child has the courage to bring something up like that, you want to look into it. Even, even if it feels like, man, they might be lying. Um, you want to look into it. The next one is an adult teacher seeks out teenagers to speak to after class and strokes their hands and forearms throughout the conversation. Okay, so breaking down barriers, um, not respecting personal boundaries, it all may seem in the moment like, oh, this is so sweet. You know, we're having a moment. No, you're not having a moment. They are, they're basically it's a part of grooming, but it's also breaking down your personal boundaries to potentially bring it further to see how far they can go. A man caresses children and caresses children and insists on kisses before giving them candy. Super inappropriate, not okay in any way. That is coercing a child to do what they want them to do. A man calls a kindergartner girl out of class to tell her to keep her legs together because he can see her panties and that is not modest. Well, number one, that man should not be calling any little girl outside and telling her about that. He should not be looking at her in that area or that like that. What he should be doing, the appropriate thing to do would be to go to her parents and talk to her parents and say, this is a situation. I've noticed it a few times. I'm alarmed for her. And I wanted to bring this to your attention that let the parents deal with it according to how they want to, not him. Next one is a man has been told by the principal to stop touching children, but he does not do so. So that's again, not respecting the rule the rules, not expecting or respecting, you know, what, what's been put in place, um, on a specific barrier or boundary, just disrespecting it. A mother attends teen events and can be seen hanging out with teenage sons, her teenage or son's friends. So this is not your casual, oh, oops, sat in the wrong section or oops, sat in the kid's section or, oh, just wanted to stay here and, and, um, you know, really hang out with my older friends. Meanwhile, the kids are right here. This is with the intent to hang out with younger kids, teenagers, to be like them, to hang out with them, to be in their group. The last one is a teacher's assistant calls the female teen leader, sweetie, insists on walking them home Friday night, even after events in order to protect them and makes lewd jokes. So remember all the red flag offenses we made, we mentioned, he's kind of done them all here. So now what I want to do is go over a review to ask you guys, is this sexual abuse or not? Just to get you thinking. Okay. I'm going to give you a couple examples and then I'll tell you what is what. So regularly walks in on children changing. Okay. So that is not sexual abuse necessarily 
if their intent is to walk in on a child changing to see them changing because he knows they're changing or she knows they're changing, that's absolutely sex, sexual abuse. But because we put the word regularly walks in on children changing, it's sexual abuse. If we said, oops, walks in on children changing, that's not sexual abuse. Okay, the next one is giving children illegal substances. Is that sexual abuse or not? Okay, it's super inappropriate in every way, but it's not sexual abuse. It is potentially a part of the grooming process that could lead to sexual abuse. The third one is providing a child pornography. Is that sexual abuse or not? So yes, that is absolutely sexual abuse. That is a non-contact form of sexual abuse. The fourth one is flashing private parts to a child. Yes, that is sexual abuse. That is something that a child cannot consent to because it's flashing at them. Um, And so that is absolutely sexual abuse. The last one is stalking or sending unwanted gifts. Okay, that is not sexual abuse. That is very inappropriate, obviously, and can lead to sexual abuse, but it is not sexual abuse. All right, so now we are going to go over the behavioral symptoms of sexual abuse. I'm going to just run through these because some of these are pretty obvious, um, but they're important to know also because a lot of the times the symptoms will lead somebody to going, okay, this, I definitely, I need to look into this or my, my child is experiencing this. Um, But I have to say that if somebody has one symptom on here, if your child has one of these symptoms, that does not necessarily mean that they have been sexually abused. If they have multiple symptoms and and various different things that we're talking about here, then it is absolutely something you want to look into. But don't ignore just because it might be just one. It might be something where you start, you know, you definitely start this conversation with your child. You definitely start looking into things um, and then start asking the important questions of like, what's going on here? I I noticed that you're, this is, you know, this isn't normal behavior. This isn't normal, what you're feeling or experiencing. So let's talk more about it. Okay. So first one is nightmares or sleeping issues, extreme fear without an obvious explanation an older child exhibiting sudden younger child behaviors such as thumb sucking, sudden personality changes, seeming angry, withdrawn, clingy, moody, checked out, fear of being in certain places around certain people for unknown reasons. That would definitely be something to look out for, especially if you've got somebody in your life who does hang out with your child or look, look, you know, look after your child who doesn't mind watching them for free. And you're like, now you're trying to figure out what's going on. And then your child feels your child doesn't want to be around them. There's a fear of being around them. That's something you definitely want to look into. Resistance to being alone with a specific person. Resistance to moving clothes or bathe or use the bathroom in inappropriate situations. Writing, drawing, or dreaming sexual or frightening images. Refusal to share a secret he or she has with an adult. Illness or stomach ache with no identifiable reason. 
using new or adult words for body parts or intentionally harming or hurting him or herself with drugs, cutting, burning, alcohol, or running away. Oh, and last is engaging in adult-like sexual activity with toys, objects, or other children. That's a huge one. So um, when I was growing up, one of the things that I did was I was my Barbies. I was like making them do these like very sexual um, positions. And I remember my mom just laughing at it. She, she, I mean, she thought it was weird. She was like, where'd you learn that? But it was like, you know, it, it was an uncomfortable conversation for her. So it was just like, move along. I, I was clearly learning this kind of stuff from the boy that was touching me in my neighborhood. <laughs> so, I, you know, those are definitely things that you want to look out for. Absolutely. So physical symptoms of sexual abuse are pain, discoloration, bleeding, or discharge in genitals, anus, or mouth, persistent or reoccurring pain during urination or bowel movements, wetting or soiling accidents unrelated to potty training, sexually transmitted diseases, or pregnancy. Okay, so now we want to give you guys some practical applications on how you can, as a parent or caregiver or an adult, prevent sexual abuse from happening. So first you want to empower children or teens to use their words. That's so important. Empower them to trust their inner alarm. Empower them that their voice matters and that when they speak up, that someone's listening and that they will, you will absolutely listen. Does not matter what the content is, what it is that they're talking about, that you're there to listen. You also want to empower them that no means no. And if they don't want to kiss somebody, if they don't want to hug somebody, if they don't want somebody touching them, they have the right to say no, even if it's an adult. Children and teens need to understand that their body belongs to them. It does not belong to you as a parent. It does not belong to you know, your aunt, your uncle, nobody else, it belongs to them. And they have the right to say what they want to do with their body and what they don't want to do with their body. You want to encourage and use the proper names of body parts. You also want to make sure that there's no secrets between adults and children. You want to show interest in a child's day-to-day -day life. You want to familiarize yourself with key people in your child's life. Again, check your circle talk about the media openly, social media. It's so important nowadays, you know, what accounts do they have? Um, I, I, I see it happen all the time. Teenagers have one account that their parents have. Then they have another account where they're, they're acting very promiscuous. They're acting, they're showing pictures that they would never allow their parents to have. If you are paying their cell phone, if you are paying for anything for your child, you have the right to say what they can and cannot do in regards to their phone or what they can look at. Um, every child up until the age of 18 should have a private account, no matter what social media platform, TikTok, all these other ones where anybody can ask you to be friends, constantly be checking that and ask your kids, do you know this person? Who is, who are they? So they live in Germany. How do you know them? Right? So these are the types of things that you need to constantly be asking. And I always say, take it a step further. And if they have an account 
And so Instagram, you can, you can go to who they follow. I would go to some of their closest friends and see who they follow, because what may happen is you may find a secret account for your child in that spot. Okay. Then, um, you want to learn the warning signs of sexual abuse. So that's what you're doing here today. Ensure, ensure that there are detailed vetting processes for all caregivers. You want to teach children about having boundaries. And this is just in, in their personal life, in, um, it, with themselves, with, with everything that they're doing. You want to be available and willing to listen and or talk about whatever it is and reassure them constantly that they will not get in trouble and you want to give them room to talk about new topics. What I have found is when you just let kids talk or you ask some certain questions and you just get them going, they go and they share a lot. You just have to be willing to and able to listen to the key things that they're saying and kind of know where to go from there. And so we also say, don't make any of this, when we say start the conversation, what we're saying is start a conversation with your child. What we don't want you to do is start a lecturing or a teaching moment and sit them down and be like, okay, this is, and then start talking about it in that way. You want to use every day's life, everyday situation to, to utilize it for this conversation on a consistent basis. So much so that your family laughs about it in years as they grow up. I have one girlfriend who has kids and she's always like, my family thinks I'm absolutely nuts. I mean, I'm constantly talking to them about this. Um, we're constantly using, you know, ads on news and magazines and on TV or whatever to talk about this kind of stuff. And, and I just, I'm like, you know, I'm so proud of you. That's, that's the point. It doesn't matter like that. Your kids will thank you later because guess what? They don't have, they weren't, they won't be sexually abused because a child that knows their body safety boundaries is it's, it takes too much time for a predator or a perpetrator. And trust me, what that person wants is power and control. And when they know they cannot get that over a child, they move along. They, they, it's, it's a pointless they don't want to bother with it. It's pointless. Okay. Then the next one we want to talk about is what to teach somebody or a child um, when what to do when someone touches them. Okay. So the first thing that you want to teach a child is to say no and to get away fast. You know, they need to know that they have the power to shout out and to get out of that situation. That when their inner alarm tells them this is not a good, this is not a safe situation, this person is touching me or doing something that I do not feel comfortable with, that they should go, oh, my inner alarm's going off. This feels weird. I don't like the way I feel. I'm not consenting to this. And when they know this terminology, they go, okay, let me get out of this situation. So get out to get out fast. That means run. That means scream. That means do whatever. Jump, jump. I, I don't know. Get out of the situation as fast as you can. Then they want, they need to speak out about it. Tell somebody, call for help and don't be afraid. Don't be afraid about anything. And they need to believe in themselves. And, and you as a parent need to teach them and instill that. Believe in yourself. If something happened to you, believe that your story matters. Believe that what you say 
should be heard and that somebody needs to hear it, especially mom or dad. And that don't let threats scare you into keeping quiet. I, I, I can't tell you how many times we hear that. Well, they told me that they would hurt me or whatever that it's, it's, they're, they're just saying that they're just giving you threats to keep you scared and to keep you from speaking up. You're not going to get harmed and no one else in your family will. And that's what you need to instill in your child. Okay. So the last couple of sections, yeah, the last two sections that we have here is things that we've talked about many times. And that is what to say and not say to someone who discloses their abuse. So I think, you know, you've, you've got a general idea. Um, I don't need to go down every single one of these things, but I think what I'll do is just, you know, give you a few that stand out the most to me that I have always um, sort of, when somebody reveals to me what has happened or shares, even if it's been years later and they share it, um, I always, I always say, um, I'm sorry this happened to you. How can I help? Or I'll say, I believe you. It wasn't your fault. I, you know, I always say things like that. I also would say something like, Hey, you're not crazy. I've been there and everything you're feeling or everything you're telling me is very normal for someone who's gone through what you've gone through. Um, and then the other thing I say often is I stand with you, me and my husband stand with you. I will be praying for you. Please let me know what we, or I can do for you. I, I think just coming alongside somebody when they've reported or shared with you what they've experienced is important to just show, especially in your face, some empathy and some understanding and that you've been there. And if you haven't been there, that you, you stand with them and not, and not ask the details, not ask what's going on, not ask, Hey, did you get everything accurate? You know, are you reporting this? Absolutely. Is this real? How do I know this is real? That kind of stuff stay away from that. Okay. And that leads me to my final, my final topic to talk about, which is things not to say. And so I'm going to read these because I have to confess that I've even said these without realizing I was saying something I should not be saying. Um, you know, especially the Christianese ones, especially the Christian come in and rescue ones. I have a very, um, I want to rescue everyone. I want, I want everyone to be protected. I want no one to feel pain. So a lot of times I will say these sentences like, well, God's got you. You don't just trust God. I'll say these things and not realize they're so not helpful in the moment. They're not, they're not, 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 although they may be true. They're not helpful in the moment. Um, we have to meet practical. We have to meet people with practical ways and then, and then come in with ways that God is going to help and redeem and save and protect them coming out the other way just is not helpful. And one of the things I always say is people do not care how much, you know, until they know how much you care and you can't get to that part of talking about those things until you've really built a very foundational, strong relationship with somebody. All right. So things you do not say to people is why are you making such a big deal out of this? What did you do to make it happen? You mean you didn't tell anybody when it happened, so why tell now? Why can't you just forgive and forget? You know, you really should just forgive and move on. Listen, just pray about it. God will take care of it. Why can't you just hurry up and get over this? 
Can't you just let go of it? Nothing is happening to you now. The Bible says, forget the past and press on to the future. Okay, so the Bible does not say that. And if it does say that, somebody send me an email of exactly where it says that. What the Bible does teach in everything is to trust God with everything and to surrender all to him. That is the essence of the Bible. However, there's many examples, especially in the Old Testament, where they need to remember the past and what's happened to them so that they don't repeat the past. So in this case, you definitely, you're never going to forget sexual abuse. It's a wound on your soul and your heart that, that nobody sees, but that you only feel and that it's never completely healed on this side of heaven. And the only way to heal that is obviously through a relationship with Jesus Christ, but is to also to look at healing as it's an everyday uh, lifelong journey. And that some days the past is going to haunt you. Some days it's going to come back. Um, And to try not to forget it, but to pray through it and to ask God, whatever you're supposed to forget from those things, can he please minimize the extent of harm on your life? I mean, I've had to pray these prayers many, many times where I'm like, God, if if I need to forget about this or if I need to just move on, can you just help me to not remember it like this? Can I, can it just be a foggy memory? And that is a prayer that's definitely been answered in my life. Um, but it's never fully gone. It's a foggy memory. You're never going to forget. So anyways, I don't want to keep going on that point, but I have come to the end. Um, it's been a pretty, pretty intense little bit of time we've had here. I hope you've learned a lot. Um, I definitely learned something new every time I teach these. I also am going to next week give you guys some examples of people and predators that um, are examples of, you know, what they did to how they sexually abuse people. I'm going to give you four examples. Um, I'm, I'm actually going to start the podcast with that next week. And then I'm going to go into the link between pornography and sexual abuse. So I hope you got a lot out of this. If you have any questions for me, please feel free to email me at info at treesofhope.org. I'll be happy to answer any questions you have. I know I gave my email earlier, which was Nicole Escobar at treesofhope.org. It's a lot of typing. So the simple one that comes straight to me is info at treesofhope.org. If you have any questions, if you want to talk through anything, if you feel like I need to cover anything more in depth, I'd love to hear about it. Um, Ask me questions or whatever. Um, So also, if you think this information is important or for anyone else that you know that needs to hear this, don't be afraid to share it. Share it online, share with a friend, send an email. Trust me, they're not, no one's going to think it's weird that you're sharing this. It's actually awesome of you if you do share it, um, because that means you're looking out for your friend. Also, if you want to go through this one more time, um, because maybe we went too fast or, um, maybe I didn't cover every single thing and you'd like to go through the online one, we offer an online version of this. If you go to our website, if you go to treesofhope.org, forward slash prevention, scroll down to middle of the page, 
there's a register for prevent online. And then there's a prevent online training that's right there that you can watch. Okay. So love you guys. I will see you or talk to you next month uh, for episode 13, which will be examples of perpetrators and the link between pornography and sexual abuse. Bye. Happy Thanksgiving. Bye. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. Maybe even consider rating the podcast or share it with one of your friends. It really makes all the difference. For more content from Trees of Hope and to connect with us, go to treesofhope.org. We love you. Bye.